you've got a Bible or an electronic device, please turn to Matthew 28. So today, we're going to continue on with our This Is Us series. And um, it's a series basically for those who are just coming and visiting that we're looking at as a local church, as Freedom Life. We've just been going over, we've got nine, I think we've got them up here, nine um, key identifying what we're calling like pillars who identify who we are as Freedom Life, as a local community church. It's based on stuff that's like we believe is our culture. It's something that we're holding to. It's something that is uh, part of who we are and something that we highly value. So, so far we've gone through a church of grace, church of glory, (laughs) church with guts, a church who gather. And today we're going to go through a church who go. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. On the headphones, sorry, I meant. Um, so Matthew 28, if you could turn there. So we believe in a church who gathers as we went through. I can't go through it again, but if you, the recording is on the website if you want to have a look. Uh, church who gather, and we talked about it last week, the importance of coming together as a local community to be a dwelling where uh, God lives on the earth. And uh, as a local church, that we are actually the new covenant garden of Eden, where people can come in and freely get access to the tree of life. And uh, I just had the thought this morning, uh, Dione came and read uh, scripture about how we've become the righteousness of God. And there's a proverb, I I couldn't quite find it before, but it says that the, the righteous are like a tree of life for those in the world. So when we come into, a, into alignment with God and into a right standing with him, we actually become this tree of life for the rest of the world to come and be able to eat of and access God, access heaven through us, which is really quite cool. The church together, we're the same thing. We're actually a garden of Eden that the tree of life is firmly planted within us and then people can come in and access that place, access that encounter and that fellowship with God. So... That is part of our purpose. It's part of our, like what we're meant to do. We're being built together to be that place, that dwelling place of heaven on earth. But equally as important, we believe in being a church who go, who extend outside of our borders, who extend out of the four walls of this church, out of the four walls of the building. So Adam and Eve were placed into that garden, not only with the responsibility to just maintain that garden, but actually with a purpose and with a mission given by God to go and be fruitful and multiply to extend the borders of the garden. Sorry. Judge you guys. So mankind's mission today is exactly the same. Our calling from God is to extend the boundaries of Eden, of heaven on earth, until it covers the whole world till it covers all the earth, heaven coming to earth. And um, we won't be able to effectively go and release that into the rest of the world until we understand and experience what it's like to be in that place of Eden, what it's like to be in an atmosphere that's like heaven. And that's why it's really important that we gather together and 
be that place where heaven just is able to dwell and manifest, where his presence is able to be here. Just as we did this morning, just through praise and worship, as we're lifting up God, open, we're opening the gates for the King of glory to be able to come into this place where his presence and his atmosphere begins to manifest in here and people can come in and access the King. And so when you're in that thing, unless you've tasted of that, it's really hard to go and show that to the rest of the world. So the two are very closely linked. But in the Garden of Eden, we have the Tree of Life. right? We know that was there. But do you know also there was a river of living water? It says that it flowed from Eden and it split into four different rivers that actually extended out and moved into all different directions outside of Eden. And so... In the book of Revelation, you read, you've got Genesis and then all the way at the other end, it talks about the church, the bride of Christ, talks about how it's uh, coming down from heaven. That this, and, it was, and he describes it as like this perfect golden city. So he's got a lot of, a lot of different pictures that are actually coming in this, in this Revelation, I think it's 21 and 22. And it says that this city is pure gold. It's encrusted with gemstones. It has pearl gates, but it is a temple of brilliant light. And this is God's dwelling place coming from heaven to be established on the earth. And from the throne of God, which is there, the throne of grace, it says flows the river of eternal life and it flows down the street. And on either side of that river grows the tree of life. And then it says, and the leaves of those trees, of the tree of life, is for the healing of the nations. Again, so we have this picture of the church, remember, the bride of Christ coming down to earth, and in it is this river that doesn't just flow like for just in the city. It actually extends out, flows beyond its borders, beyond its walls, so that it can touch the nations. The tree of life and its healing leaves are for the whole world. So you get this picture. And uh, even Jesus says this in a different way, but it's the same parallel illustration in John 7. And he says that you as an individual are the temple of God as well. You are his temple of his Holy Spirit. And he says, when you drink of me, when you drink these eternal waters, the, the rivers will start to bubble up from within you and will begin to flow out of your inner being and just flow everywhere around you. So we've got all these pictures. So we have this clear command, as I said, from God in the beginning. He says, go into all the world, be fruitful and multiply to rule and reign with the authority that I have delegated to you and go and expand the borders of Garden of Eden so that my glory can cover the whole world. This is from the Father. Then we have, this. secondly, this picture, which is a prophetic vision that we get from the Holy Spirit that is this inspiration to be able to go, that as a church, we are extending beyond as well, like the rivers of living water that are flowing beyond, that we've got the tree of life with the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. So we got it from the Father, we get it from the, from the Holy Spirit, and then we also get probably the clearest instruction, which comes from Jesus. And this is Matthew 28. We get here just before he goes to, uh, 
goes back to heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means there is no authority anywhere else. The devil has no authority. Zero. Even you have no authority. Angels have no authority. Demons have no authority. Nothing in all heaven and earth. Sorry, something happened there, didn't it? Uh, whatever. I've stuffed it. Huh? Nah. <laughs> yeah, if you could, sorry, fix that up for me. But Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we at Freedom Life, we believe in being, uh, having this mission to go and preach the gospel in every nation of the earth. It's part of our core mandate, and we fully believe that, that as a church, that is part of who we are. See, like even the word gospel, right, means well, you could break it down and just like go spell. In, actual, in really what it means is like go means the good news, the goodness of God, and then spell means to spread it. So go spell Go spread the good news of the, of the God, of, of his wonder, of his majesty, of his salvation. That's what it means to do. And there are millions of people out there who have never met Jesus. Even in this city, at least hundreds of thousands have never met Jesus. They may know who, like, about him. They may have heard about him, like we've been talking about uh, the key Scripture that we've been looking at in this, in this series is Matthew 16, where he, where he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're this prophet, you're that prophet, you're this kind of guru, you're this teacher. And people have a, an idea about who Jesus is, and they will willingly accept him, that view of him. They'll willingly accept a view that they're comfortable of, or even in religion they'll accept Jesus was this type of person, and that fits into my worldview. But they haven't met him. They haven't met him as Messiah, as the one who is the King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who is the saviour of my soul. And so they need to know who he is, who he truly is. Is that, um, is it working? Romans 10, I just want to have a look at this. See, it's our responsibility to set up the meeting with Jesus for people to come into a place of encounter. And so Romans 10, verse 14, it says, How then can they call on the one who, has, who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? See, the preaching the gospel is not limited, though, to the pastor standing at the front here and giving a sermon. It's, it's living like Jesus did. 
That's what it means to preach the gospel, to live exactly like he did, his life. I've got another one here. Acts 10 is one of my favorite verses. It talks about how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good, healing everyone who was oppressed of the devil or under the power of the devil, for God was with him. So the majority of Jesus' ministry was not in a Sunday service. It wasn't standing at the front like this and preaching to people who are all on his side. The majority of his ministry was in the marketplace. It was in people's houses. It was over a dinner table. It was having lunch. It was uh, like outside on the road. It was as he's just walking in a park, like in today's kind of society. It was when he was on the beach, just meeting with strangers, meeting with people he didn't know. That's how he lived his life, where it's everywhere he went, he would just spread the kingdom of God. He would pray for people. He would see them healed. He would rebuke demons. He would just live a life that displayed the full nature of who God was, and that was to come and destroy the works of the devil. So he didn't just um, preach, as I was saying. Like he doesn't just speak the words like this, but he was actually, he became the gospel in his life. His life was the gospel. And the same is true for us, that as we go, we are to be the gospel in our every single day life. Wherever we go, where it might be at work, might be in the park, it might be uh, at school, whatever it is, we are to be his love. We are to be his nature and his character and display his kingdom through our life. Last week, I uh, went through a story uh, about the origins of Paul the Apostle and talked about a church that was there that was called, uh, or was in the city of Antioch, and it was the church that was, uh, it absolutely exploded. It grew very, very quickly. And um, the city was in, a, was I think the third biggest city in the world at the time, and it was filled with a bunch of people who are uh, unchurched, people who weren't really coming up with some sort of, uh, or at least a Jewish sort of background, but they were Greeks. And um, it was... Uh, started, interestingly, which is something that I thought was pretty cool, by not some super apostle, wasn't some famous evangelist, it wasn't some great prophet or really well-known Christians at the time, but it just says some believers, some Christians, some disciples from around the area got captured with the heart of grace, captured with this mission of going and preaching the gospel. And they went to Antioch and started probably one of the most influential churches of that time. They went there just with this heart, just whoever, everyday believers, went there and started a church that would then become the, a central base where Paul the Apostle and Barnabas come in and actually begin to flourish and begin to be walking out the calling that was on their life. If those Christians never started that church, never thought, oh, I'm no, or if they thought, I'm nobody, I'm not any special person, I can't go and do this thing, then Paul the Apostle may never have been who he was. Which is a very interesting thought. It just shows you that it's not about the person standing at the front. It's actually all of us together. 
I thought um, I wasn't going to share this at all, but in Ephesians 4, it talks about the, uh, the gifts of like that Jesus gives to the church, so the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, evangelists. And he says that their purpose, right, the primary purpose that they've been given is for the building up, the edification, the maturing of all the believers. And often we hold those people up on a pedestal as if they're above the rest of the church. They're the ones who preach the gospel. They're the ones who do the signs and wonders. They're the ones who go and spread into all the world and open up things and uh, really advance the kingdom of God. No, it's a wrong uh, theology completely because those guys have got the same mandate, right? They are also supposed to go and spread, spread the gospel. They're supposed to preach. They are supposed to do signs, wonders, miracles and just see heaven invade. But that's because they're believers. It's not because they have the title of an apostle or of a prophet or of an evangelist. It's because they're an everyday saint. Like all of us, we all have that same mandate. The only extra responsibility that they have is to teach the rest of the body to do it. Where sometimes we flip it and go, that's the one at the front. They're the ones who are meant to do this. When no, they've been given for the purpose of edifying the whole body so that we can all go out and do this. Amen? This is a really simple message today, but I think it should be. So there are three key components to being a church who go. And uh, this is taken pretty much from Matthew, Matthew uh, 28, as we just read. And the first key thing that we should hold on to is that Jesus has all authority. And people who often get scared of the devil, as I was just kind of mentioning before, and often people will say, be careful going into that psychic expo, like demons are going to jump on you. And, uh, or any sort of, where you're in any sort of environment where it just seems darker than normal, where there's some sort of, uh, just something going on, which is of the devil. And people can get scared of it. And it's just so wrong. You flip this thought and people would become scared of the devil when actually you should be more scared of God. He's the one who has all authority. He's the one who has all power, right? That uh, 2,000, even like 2,000 demons was in this guy and 2,000 demons or at least 2,000 demons was not strong enough to influence that man to come running towards Jesus and give his life to Jesus. It shows you how weak they actually are. The only reason that they've got any sort of power is because we allow them our power and give them power over us. So Jesus has got all authority. He has already plundered hell. He's taken back the keys of heaven and earth. And now he is seated in the heavens with all power and authority. And he says he's waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. And we are his body. We are his feet. It means that the devil is under our feet. That's where he belongs. Our job is to put him there, to stomp on hell for a living. Amen? So Jesus has all authority. Number two, 
He gives us the command to go in his power and to preach the good news. Remember, he has all authority, and now he says, you go. But we can't go unless we understand that he's the one who's got the authority and the power. Otherwise, we go and we try and do it in our power, in our authority, and we'll just fall flat on our faces. We need to understand that the power comes from him, and he's commanded us and delegated his authority to us so that we can go and do exactly what he's done because he wants us to be his hands, his feet. He wants us to be his representatives and his ambassadors on the earth, which means whatever we do here needs to look like him. Because otherwise, if it doesn't, we're not representing him. We're representing something else. To use the keys of heaven and earth that has been entrusted to us to open the, the door of the king and to introduce people to Jesus. I love that Bill Johnson says that. We owe it to the world to give them an encounter with Jesus. We owe it to them. Romans 10, we just, we just read out before. Uh, how can they hear without us preaching it? It's our responsibility to show them who Jesus is. And uh, I've got something written here sideways. Acts 1 verse 8 it says, When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he, uh, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the outermost reaches of the world. The Holy Spirit comes on us with the purpose of being his witness. So it's our responsibility. Number three, I will to remember keys to being a church who go. Number three, I will always be with you. God promises that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Whenever you see God... Uh, give an impossible command to his people. It's always followed up with this assurance that he would never leave us, that he will always be there with us, that he would be there to back up his word. And so God gives us this mission, but he doesn't, he will never give us an impossible task without also empowering us to be able to complete and fulfill that task. Otherwise, he's just a cruel God. And he's not. We know he's loving. He's got a purpose behind it. And so, and there's so much scripture that backs us up. I'm not going to look at it all. But Ephesians 1, it says, Every spiritual blessing is yours. Everything has been given to you. Colossians 2, it says, In Christ that you've been given fullness in Christ. 2 Peter uh, 1, it says, uh, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I think that's something that often gets glossed over in Psalm 23. Right? We go, oh, God, I'm so down in this time. I'm having such a struggle. I thank you that you're my shepherd and you're going to lead me through this. But we forget that he says, actually, I've given you everything you need to go through this. See, it's a partnership with God. It's not just like, give you like, like oh, I can't even explain this. I don't want to because it's not my main point. But anyway, here's, we don't lack anything. We have no excuse. Psalm 84, this is my favorite one, verse 11. says, the Lord, oh, I can't read my own. The Lord is brighter 
than the sun, and he wraps himself around me like a shield. He is so generous with his gifts of grace and glory, and those who walk in his paths with integrity will never lack one thing that they need, for he provides it all. It's an awesome verse. Just so many. That's just like I've handed out, what, five or six. But the Bible is saturated with verses talking about he will provide you with everything that you need for every area of life. He says, I know that I've required something of you that is impossible, but I've designed it that way so that your faith doesn't rest in your power, but it rests on my faithfulness. That he is faithful to complete everything that he begins in you. So the Christian life is meant to be done in partnership with God, in relationship with him, in fellowship with him, in union with him. It's the way that he's designed it. It started right at the beginning with Genesis, how God just walked with Adam every single day. He never wanted him to, to do it any other way. He always wanted it to be in partnership and relationship with him. And Christian life, as I said before, is all about that. It's not about trying to live like a really moral life. It's about being like God by being with him. And as you be with him, his nature, his persona, his goodness is just going to be expressed through your, through your life. And there's no, so there's no greater fulfillment than to take up this commission with God and to see his kingdom established on the earth. There's no higher purpose, there's no higher calling than to partner with him to see his world invade ours. It's not, as I said, it's not about heaven going to, I mean, earth going to heaven. The end of the book, like, we're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming here. Often it's preached the other way around. But you, it's so clear that even at the beginning in Genesis, Eden gets created on the earth. Adam's task is to spread heaven over all the earth. At the end, Revelation 21, 22, heaven comes to earth through the church and is established there forever for all eternity. It's so clear. Amen? I don't know where those other ideas come from. It's just, I don't know. It's good news. So I just want to finish up by telling a testimony and then another testimony at the end. And I think that hopefully this will encourage you. Many of you probably have heard this. Some of you may not have. I'm Jim Rogers. This is a letter, by the way, that, of a pastor who's writing to Bill Johnson. He says, I'm Jim Rogers, an associate pastor at Bridgeway Church, Denver. Our church has a passion to see the kingdom of God ministered by everyday saints to our city and the nations. In January 2008, I was flying home from Europe after ministering in Africa. We were about an hour into the flight when the stewardess gave us drinks. I was drinking Diet Coke and wearing a white shirt when accidentally the stewardess bumped my arm and it went everywhere. My shirt was stained and I felt some frustration. But immediately I felt the presence of God come on me and I knew that I was not to get angry. The stewardess helped me as best as she could to clean up the mess. She was very surprised that I didn't lose it. I realize now that the enemy was trying to stop what God had in mind. 
I looked across the aisle and saw a lady squirming in her seat. I wondered what her problem was, and the Lord told me that she had hurt her back two weeks earlier, and she wanted me to pray for her. I was tired and just wanted to read my book and watch a movie. So initially I told, told the Lord, nah, not doing it. Isn't it funny? God often wants to use us when we least feel like it. But God wouldn't let me go. And so after quite a few exchanges with the Lord, I finally said, okay, fine, I will go pray for her. I leaned across the aisle. I asked the lady if she had hurt her back two weeks earlier. And that got her attention. And she asked how that I knew that. I explained that the Lord had told me, and I told her about my recent travels in Africa. Then I asked if I could pray for her, and she said yes. So then I asked if I could put my hand on her shoulder, and she looked at me and said, oh, you mean now? <laughs> I told her I didn't believe that God wanted her to be in pain for the next eight hours. And so as I prayed for her, the Holy Spirit fell on her, and she fell out of her seat and landed in the floor on, on the floor in the aisle. The stewardess came around the corner, greatly concerned, and asked if we needed a doctor. I was trying to explain to her that what had happened and that God was ministering to her and that the lady was fine. As we talked, the lady came about and the stewardess asked if she was okay. And the lady said, yes, I'm fine. And hey, my back doesn't hurt. I started to explain to her that the lady's back when she when she I started to explain to her when the lady cut me off she told the stewardess all about how she had hurt her by her back on ice two weeks earlier and that the pastor prayed for her and she was totally healed so caught off guard caught off guard and unaware that God was present um, the stewardess said that she had also hurt her knee four weeks earlier and was in constant pain she asked if I could then pray for her, and she said yes. Then she got a real serious look on her, on her face and asked if she would also fall down. <laughs> and I said I didn't know. So I prayed for her, and then God healed her knee on the spot. As I got up and went back to my seat, there were three people lined in the aisle <laughs> asking for prayer. Apparently others had noticed what was going on. I felt the Lord urging me to continue. So as I started to pray for the first lady, I suddenly heard over the intercom the stewardess that I had prayed for saying that there was a pastor on board who'd been in Africa praying for healing and that he prayed for her and the woman with the bad back both had been healed. And she said, if anyone needs healing, they should come to the galley between coach and first class and he would pray for them. And I thought to myself, here we go. Then a large gentleman came up to me. He was from England. And he asked if he could catch for me. I thought, thank you, Lord, at least someone else knows what's going on. And for the next two hours, we had a healing service. At one point, the catcher came and said to me, you've got to slow down. I'm running out of places to put people. <laughs> I looked in the galley and saw that there were people lying everywhere. We had five salvations during the time, including one man from Saudi Arabia he was coming to the U.S. For, for surgery on his torn rotator cuff. He had other damage to his shoulder. And God healed him and told him that Jesus, and, he, and I told him that it was Jesus who had touched him. And he says, I know Jesus. And I said to him, yes, you may know who he is, but you need to meet him as Lord and Savior. And he accepted the Lord 
and uh, praise God for his wonderful love and desire to use any one of us in his service. It's awesome, eh? Do you know, that is not the testimony of some superhuman, extraordinarily holy, awesome man who's better than everyone else. It's the picture of a normal Christian life. You know, that, that testimony was probably one of the, one of the first uh, kind of testimonies that I've ever heard of or ever heard of that kind. And it sparked something in me. It was like a, an excitement, kind of like an activation that happened within me as if to say, I want that. I don't know if it does that for you, but I hear those sorts of things and I'm like, there's something about it that's like, that's what I'm meant to do. That's who I also am. And it's a hunger and a desire, which is good. It's, it's, it's linked with compassion as well. And it's the very thing that I think was moving Jesus around the earth as well. Because it talks about he was moved by compassion to see people released from the oppression of the devil to even a simple thing to just see someone's smile in their face when they realize the presence of God has done something in their life. There's like nothing better in the world than to see that and experience that. It's designed to be like that. And so this story really started a journey for me of discovering what is available for the everyday believer. I remember a little while uh, later, I was working for a printing company, and on my way to work, I asked God to give me a prophetic word of knowledge for someone to pray for for that day. And so there, and I, I hear God say, left ear. That's all. I'm like, okay, that's, that's good enough. I'll see what happens. So I get to work. There's about 10 people who work at the company. And uh, one of the girls comes in, and I see she's got this tissue stuffed in her ear with tape on it. And I'm like, okay. I think it was the wrong ear. I think it was like right ear anyway. But, but still, it's weird that that happened that very day. So I go and ask her what's going on. She says, oh, I've got an infected ear and junk and that is coming out. So I gather up all my courage that I can and ask, can I pray for you? And she says, yep. And knowing this story, I was like, I want to pray for you now. And she probably, I think she already thought that anyway. She's like, okay, sure. So I pray for her, being one of the first times I've ever done this sort of thing. I was like, just pray for it and get out. So end the conversation as soon as I pray for her and then go do my work for the rest of the day. Let her go do her work. The next day, she comes in. I work upstairs in the office. She works downstairs in the factory where they do all the finishing of the printing. So she doesn't often come up, almost never comes upstairs. But that day in the morning, she comes up specifically to tell me that her ear is completely healed. And that did more for me than it did for her. Well, I think it did. Because I was like, wow, this thing is like real. Like I'm not just making something up. It's been plenty of times where things I've thought have been just me making things up. But this time was like, this is real. Something's really, really happening here. And so after that, everywhere I went, 
I'm thinking to myself, who is the next person I'm going to pray for? And it's a bit weird thinking back now because internally you're just like scouting, stalking people like a lion kind of like looking for the next wounded person. But all this was happening and internally this was happening. So I'm like that person, that person, even to the point where I would walk along and times I would see Jesus spiritually come out of me, run up to someone who's sick, look back to me with a smile on his face as if to say, what about this one? And that was happening quite often where I'm seeing these sorts of things, knowing what's going on around the place. But me being generally a pretty shy person, especially back then, even now, I internally this was happening, but I actually stepped out and prayed for very few people. But few was more than none. Even though it was only a few, it was more than I'd ever done before. It was more than I've ever really even prayed for people at church. I was, and after that, I found that I was praying probably for more people outside the church than in the church, especially at the beginning. So I was just, I was just talking um, with Yvonne the other day, just remembering one particular experience which I want to share with you. It was good probably six or seven years ago, and we were in the city, and there's a spot just across from, I think it's Murray Street Mall, one of the malls, it's just across from it, and there's a spot there where there's a group of guys who used to meet um, young kind of teenagers, and they're like gothic kind of looking guys, dressed in black, kind of scary looking, uh, wearing big boots, chains, piercings, tattoos, black dyed hair, and there's probably about 10 or 15 of them there. So uh, at the time I was pretty bold, and we go up with a video camera, just Yvonne and myself, and with the purpose of recording them to ask them what they think about God, what they think about the supernatural. And at the start, it was a bit, of a, a bit hard, because they're like, who the heck are these people? But eventually, they fully opened up to us. And about five or six of them begin to tell us in pretty like, intense detail about their life. And one particular guy, for instance, he, uh, he had a dream not that long ago where he saw his uncle uh, die in a motorbike accident. In the dream, he became his uncle, he says, from his point of view, riding the motorbike, seeing it crash and dying. And he talks about how real it felt to the point where it's just like it, was, it messed him up because he finds out the next day that that same night his uncle was driving his motorbike, drove into a pole and died. And so it was really destroying him. So we got the opportunity to pray for him, just pray the peace and the love of God when it just come over him. And he was really thankful for it. After that, his friend just starts piping up and starts saying, I also have really bad night terrors. So bad that I wake up in the night and I've got deep scratches all over my body. So pray for him. He's like, yep, please pray for me. And just pray that the demons would leave his room, that he would have the peace of God and that he would just have great night's sleep. And then we get to speak to a whole bunch of them just about their lives, about different things that they're going through. And... Uh, even in one point, this, this one of the girls just comes in, hears that we're Christian, just runs up into our face, and he's like, I'm a lesbian, and I'm proud, and all this like, really intense, violent stuff. And we're just there, and we go, cool, God loves you. It doesn't matter. Like, 
God wants to be with you. What do you think about God? And straight away, the walls just bang, fall down. We get to speak to her. After this, I've got a fair bit of courage. And so I just felt to ask the whole group, 15 of them, I said, is there anyone there who's got pain in their arms? Pain in their arm. And then there's probably silence for a little while. And then a group of them kind of part. And then there's an older lady sitting in the middle of them in a picnic chair. And she's, yeah, I've got pain. And it's weird to see her because she's like probably maybe in her 40s, maybe. And the rest are like teenagers. And so I go up to her and I'm like, okay, you got pain in your arm? She's like, yeah, it's really sore. I said, can I please just see your hand? And she was a bit reluctant. She's like, what the heck? See my hand? What are you going to do to me? I said, no, I just want to see your hand. So she puts it out. I just grab it and say, in the name of Jesus, pain, you get out right now. And then I'm like, test it. She's like, okay, test it. She does it, and then she's like, what the heck did you just do to me? What did you do? It's crazy. All the pain is gone. All the others are like, what did you do? How did you do that? I'm just like, it's Jesus. And then she goes on and says, I think she, then she pulls out a necklace. She's got a cross. And she's like, yeah, I believe in God, and I pray. And then she goes on to say, my name is Storm, and I'm actually all these kids' mother. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, I've taken it on myself to come out here and to be a mother to all these kids because most of these kids come from a family of brokenness. Most of them have left home. They're living on the street. They're living on couches. They're living in cars. And I'm here as their guide, as their mother, and I pray for them every day. So I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And we just left there, just blessed them and said, God loves you to all those guys. And it's, but I just, the point I want to make is it started with just a simple hunger and desire to, to not preach people. Because I was always scared to like, have conversations with people about Jesus. But when you get inspiration that it's not about that, it's actually about releasing Jesus and his life through uh, praying for them, through just letting God go and do the work, it actually gives you and empowers you to actually go and do it. And so, again, I felt like that experience was more about me than it was for them. I felt like I got so much out of that. And it was, it was one of the, it's a highlight. There's been other instances of it as well, but that was been a, something that really affected me. And so, I don't know why, but since, that, since I've had kids, I think, somewhat of that fire that I felt back then has kind of um, like faded, it felt. Or I'd probably rather say that there's been an emphasis shift for a little while, where God is actually talking to me and speaking to me and getting passionate about different things. But one thing I just felt for the year of 2020 is going to be a year of miracles. And something of that fire, the same thing that I said that I started to feel back then, I can feel beginning to start up again, which I'm really excited for. But what I'm more excited for is it's not for me or for the super people or whatever. It is for you. Every single one of us is called to a normal Christian life which looks exactly like Jesus. That church in Antioch, which was started by just a few Christians, uh, that, that fire that began to burn within them, that is... Uh, oh, 
forgot what I was going to say about that. No, sorry, I've lost my train of thought with that one. But that is for every single person. It's not for the super apostles. It's not for the pastors. It's, not, it's for the everyday saints. And I'm really encouraged. I think year 2020 is going to be a year where we're going to see lots of people, just believers in God, seeing the most incredible testimonies where just people are, rad, are completely radically uh, changed for God, just like Paul who comes into an atmosphere where there's people who are not people who are well known, but we can see people brought into a place where they are become so influential and they realize who they are and what they're, what they're called to in their life. So I think it's pretty cool. No one is disqualified. I think um, that's it. Let me just pray for you and then we'll be done. So I thank you, God. I just pray, Father, for a clarity of purpose and the, and the mission that we have would just gr- grip our hearts, that we would be possessed by you in such a way that we can't help but just spread your good news and spread your gospel, to spread who you are with everyone that we come in contact with. And I just pray for greater opportunities in our work, in our life, in, in wherever we, we go, our sphere of influence, where, God, you can just mightily show up with signs, wonders, with miracles, with your power, and with your glory. I thank you, Father, that this is who we are, that we've been made to invade the impossible. We've been designed to bring your glory, to carry your presence wherever we are. And so I just thank you, Father, for that, for that privilege, for the honor of being able to do this with you. I just thank you for everyone. Just bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen. 